Hello, hello. How you guys doing? Wow. It's a stark improvement. Thank you. First time in my youth ministry career that actually worked. I appreciate it. Um, we are in a series called uh, The Curiosities, and we are talking all about uh, what it means to be a follower of Jesus and a community that follows Jesus and why that's so important. And what, is, what does that kind of mean? And why does that make us distinct? That's kind of all the conversations we've kind of been going through. And, and, uh, and so we did one week. We were just kind of in Romans chapter 9. And so today, if you guys have a Bible, go to Romans chapter 12. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there are some ladies walking down the middle aisle here. You just raise your hand up, and they will pass you one. And find yourselves to Romans chapter 12, big 12, little one. That's where we're going to be. And uh, we're going to talk about us being a curiosity. Now, what Romans 12 is going to talk about, it's going to talk about two competing worlds colliding together. There is kind of the culture of the world, and there is the culture of a follower of Jesus. Now, both of these cannot do the exact same thing. And at times, both of these worlds collide now, some of you know this very situation very, very clearly when two very separate worlds collide together, okay? Um, I want you to be vulnerable with me for a second, and I want you, if you ever did this, to raise your hands and just, just, just own it. Did you at any point ever call your teacher mom, okay? Right? Right? And then you go... And in that moment, you're like, hey, mom. And you're like, oh, I, I done messed up, right? You, you, you know at that moment, and all of your friends are like, mom, well, she gave birth to you. And I'm like, dude, come on. No, right? So you're, you're having that whole situation, and you're having that moment. Or, or when you're kind of like confused a bit. It's a bit different when, you know, you have, uh, that's, that's understandable. You get a, a little bit mixed up. You're like, oh, she's like an older lady. My mom's an older lady. That makes sense, right? And then you have those really embarrassing moments. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying this from a personal experience. I'm going to share this, a friend's experience, okay? My friend is a very good-looking guy, okay? And uh, my very good-looking friend one time had a sleepover with his not-so-good-looking friend, right? And, uh, and they go and they have a sleepover, and this is the first time they've ever had a sleepover at this guy's house. So it's a very big moment, you know, the parents all meet together like, hey, like, are you going to murder my kid? And they're like, no. And like, sweet, all right, I'll pick him up tomorrow, you know? And uh, so they do that whole thing. And, and, and so my friend uh, goes in and, and sleeps over at this guy's house. Now, there's this really weird thing that happens to all of us at a certain time of night where you just begin to lose it, right? Everybody knows this moment where you just go, <laughs> fingernail. And you're like, <laughs> and you start losing your mind. You start getting a little bit delirious, right? This is what happens. And then, somewhere in this delirious state, you fall asleep. Now, I don't know what it is about the human body, but when you wake up, things got to happen, right? So my friend woke up, and immediately, right as he woke up, just farted the loudest fart I've ever heard in my entire life. I mean, my friend heard ever. And, uh, and he woke up and he went, where am I? <laughs> and I was like, uh, I mean, my friend was like, uh, where do you think you are? He's like, I'm not home. I'm not home. And he freaked out because in front of his friend, he just let out the raunchiest fart in the entire world thinking that he was at home. And it happens. 
You're confused, man. You think you're in one place, but really you're in the other. You start acting one way and you start doing stuff. You're like, oh my goodness, man. I, I act one way there. I let out the nasty rippers over here, right, in my house. But when I'm at a guest house, you go to the bathroom or whatever. I don't know what you do. You just act very differently in two very, very different kinds of worlds. And what we're going to see here is both these worlds are going to collide at different times for different people. And we got to figure out what it means to live in both of these spheres and how we actually make them work. So this is what it says, Romans chapter 12. We're going to read verses 1 to 2. If you do not have a Bible, we have the Bible in the sky. It will be up there for you. We usually don't do that, but hey, we're generous. This is it. Uh, verse 1. It's Paul writing to the church at Rome. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, ever been in youth ministry before? This is like youth pastor's favorite sermon. To pre- I've heard this thing preached like a bajillion times, and every single time I want to just like like I just want to vomit or whatever, I don't know. And it makes me so upset because I'm like, okay, we keep talking about the same thing over and over and over again, but nothing really even changes. And we always forget, like we just kind of stick here, but there's so much more in chapter 12 that we have to get to, which is what we will. But I think we have to really understand what this is saying. Romans 12 is not talking about worship in the sense of let's walk up to this weird stage, hear this guy play this like thing, and let's lift our hands up and let's have a good old time. That's not at all what it's talking about. When you hear the words and you really begin to picture and put yourself into that kind of a place, it should really mean something. Let's, let's, let's read this over again. That you are to present your bodies, right, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Your bodies are going to be a living sacrifice. This is kind of like some weird uh, Bible image where it talks about a sacrifice. On the back in the old days, they would grab like a little animal and they would just like off that sucker, right? And they'd go, God, this is kind of like my sacrifice towards you. This is my sign of worship. A sacrifice equals worship. So now it's saying that you have to give your own body. So you're like, what in the heck? This is kind of freaking me out. What, is, what does this all have to mean? You know when you, uh, you're at school, you act a certain way. You talk a certain way. If you're really honest with yourself, your language probably changes a lot. Um, a couple weeks ago, I was, uh, <laughs> this is kind of embarrassing, I was in the bathroom, right? And, uh, and a bunch of juniors were outside of the, 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 the bathroom. And they were kind of talking and they were being all nerdy or whatever. And, uh, and all of a sudden, the conversation went off. And I was hearing some of the stuff these guys were saying, and I was sitting there like, oh, what? What did you say about him? No, no, you went, what, what, no, ah. I'm like freaking out every single moment. I'm like, I thought they were all innocent. Evil, pure evil, right? Like it just got dark so fast. Like I was like, if, if anybody knew, if anyone knew what they were saying, I would lose my job, right? Like I'm, I'm terrified by the things that are coming out of these guys' mouths. And I was like, holy moly, we really, we really screwed up with these guys, okay, right? So at that moment, what began to happen? 
It's kind of like those two worlds collide and one of the worlds kind of won. It's just the way that they talk regularly, but then all of a sudden they show up to church. They show up to this kind of a service. They go into youth and their whole demeanor about their life changes. All of a sudden they're the sweetest little person. Like, oh my gosh, blessings unto you. Yes, the holy grace of the Lord be, be upon you, right? And you're like, what? Just how, you just called the, you called the him, the her, the him thing? You know, uh, you did, you, uh, you're evil, right? So you're going, something's off here with these people. And that might be of a bit of an extreme kind of illustration until we begin to realize how often we begin to do this. Very simple things. The way that you talk versus the way you talk on the phone. Very different people, right? Regular you is like, hey, how are you doing? You talk on the phone, you're like, jolly, how are you doing, right? And you're the happiest person for no reason. Just one single thing, your attitude completely changes and the way that you are completely changes because to be honest, we're trying to put up a front. But here it's saying, no, 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 no. I don't want you to compartmentalize your life into this is how you are with your sports team or with your club or with your school or with your family. And then all of a sudden I see you at church and you're like a completely different person. I want those to be all one and the same thing. And so how does he describe that? I don't want just a piece of you. I want all of you. I want your whole body as a living sacrifice. And the way that you change your behavior to worship when you walk into this room, as you walk into the sanctuary, all of a sudden worship flows out of you. He's saying, no, the true sanctuary is not, it's not just a room. It's, it's your whole, it's your body. It's, it's all of your life that I want you to start treating, when do you worship? You worship with all of your body. You worship with all of who you are. You have to sacrifice for it to be worship. That's what he's saying. You sacrifice, you have to give, it has to cost you something. It has to. You have to be able to give something up of your own and saying, I, I don't need anything else other than God. That's all I really need. Man, I've been in those situations where it was so tough for me as a high school student to go, am I really going to do this? Am I really going to give my life to him? Am I really going to go for this? Because if I do, it's going to cost me. And that's the most brilliant thing about the gospel. When Jesus shows up in your life, the free cost of grace costs you everything. And I would go just kind of a regular ninth grade, 10th grade student, I would go to a party and I would just get, you know, it's classic high school culture. It's just kind of a binge drink culture and you drink and you drink with all your friends and it's the most amazing thing in the world. And you're jumping around. You're like, oh, this is great. This is great. This is great. Then as you go, you start making more and more mistakes and you start doing more and more dumb things and you're going, okay, this is actually so great. And so I sat there at one point, just like you sitting in a service, listening to a guy preach who I didn't really trust. And I heard him say this message one time about really living authentically. And I thought to myself in that moment, that's when the Holy Spirit really grabbed my heart. Really got me where I was doing that two different kinds of worlds. I wasn't, I wasn't giving everything I have. My whole body wasn't into this whole worship thing. Not everything of me was into this whole worship thing. I wanted to worship almost like it was a job. I walk in here Tuesdays at 7, 7.30, I clock in, and at 9 o'clock, I clock out, and I'm, and I'm gone. That was me. 
and I would go out and I would, I would party with my friends. And I remember one time I, I got invited to a camp, like, a, like an actual like Jesus camp, right? And I go and you go there, you're like, oh, holy blessings on all of you, like the brethren, right? And you start talking in all this weird way. And then what did I do the night after I got home? Went to a party. They were like completely different worlds in my mind. One day this guy speaks, he has this gnarly message and it just hits me like it's never hit me before. And I go and then it's this famous story that I always tell about the last time I got drunk and, and I walked home 5K in Wally with no shoes, long story, you can hear it later. And uh, I get to my room and my mom's there and my mom's crying and I walk into the room and I went, man, the thing that that guy said it actually makes sense to me now because I just got hit with something so painful. And the pain and the hurt in that moment was the thing that brought both of those worlds together. And I remember going to the next party and I kind of told myself like, I'm out, I'm done, none of this is gonna happen. And I go, everyone's like, hey man, like let's go, you know, you know, I have a bunch of stuff or whatever, let's go to the cooler. And I'm just like, no, 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 dude, like I'm good. I'm good, you know, I'm not feeling too, I'm not feeling too well. You start making fake excuses, right? I have, a, I have a colon thing. What? You have a colon? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's new, right? So you start, you start doing nonsense like that and people believe you because they're dumb. And all of a sudden you're like, yeah, you know, I just, the, uh, my pinky's uh, yellow, right? So you just start saying nonsense. And they kind of let it slide and they, they let it go for the first time, first couple times and you start going and all of a sudden they start picking up on stuff. Hey. You're not like you used to be. What the heck is this? You used to be fun. And that's when it first hits you. And then it moves away from just kind of the small little things of you used to be fun or you used to be cool to kind of a little bit more derogatory things. You know, it goes from, why, why are you being so stupid? Why are you acting so lame? And it escalates and it escalates and it escalates. And for me, both of these worlds colliding into one, for me to really live like a follower of Jesus cost me something. It cost me reputation. It cost me looking cool to people who I wanted to look cool. It cost me a lot. That sucks, man, to be in that spot. To be in that position where you saw yourself in one way and then you saw yourself in another. But there's this beautiful thing that I love, especially in this passage. It's this, it's this one world, I, I, one word. I, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. I appeal to you by the mercies of God. Notice how mercies is plural. It's not a mercy that goes over everything, just this one, it's mercies. It's like an individual thing kind of mercy. And that mercy in my life looked like a year after that incident where I kind of just gave everything up and said, I want to really live this the, the right way. We were at a different party and I was a completely different guy. I had a backpack on and it was filled with bread and socks and like band-aids and like weird things because all of my friends would get really, really drunk and I would have to take care of them. I was the mom of the party, right? I felt like Mrs. Doubtfire at that joint, right? So I'm going in and I'm like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm taking care of everything, everyone. I, I'm just trying to help. My friend loses their sock. I'm like, hey, buddy, I got another one. Barney's on it, right? So I just, I give him that sock. My friend's sitting there on the couch, like puking on himself. And I'm like, dude, you know what? 
Everyone's been through it. Have some bread, right? And I just, my voice starts changing like I'm on the phone and it's just horrible, right? And after all of this time, when I, I sat there and it cost me something, there's this beautiful moment where I was kind of a, a, on a party in another person's turf, if you know what I mean. And our school kind of went there as mutual friends. And, and that side came up to me like, hey, do you want to you come drink with us? you want to do this with us? I'm like, no, no, dude, like I'm good, man. Like I got the backpack, right? I feel like the dude from Hacksaw Ridge. Like that's me, right, in this moment. <laughs> Some of you got that late. You're like, oh, wait, what? <laughs> I watched that movie one time. It's about dolphins. Anyways, uh, and I go there. And these guys are pressuring me to do this stuff. I'm like, no, 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 I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. And then they start going off on all these derogatory comments. They start going off on all these different things. And then here are two of my friends who did the exact same thing to me a year earlier. Come up and going, hey, he doesn't want to. Leave him alone. Back off. Push these guys away. They said, man, you're good. And the very same people who are criticizing me at first are the very same people who now I can witness to about Jesus because now they're on my side. It costed me something. It cost me something. For a whole year, I had to feel a certain way. And in that moment, what did I see? Just God's mercy abundantly in my life because I just, I try to put those worlds together. It's mercies. It's mercies. It's not just because you sin or you do stupid things that you're completely in the doghouse. No, mercies, plural. It's the going to the party and getting drunk kind of mercy that he gives to you. It's the going and having a habitual lying problem that he gives the mercies unto you. It's the going and having a horrible relationship with your parents and putting them down. That kind of mercy is onto you. It's the going and wanting to sleep with your boyfriend or your girlfriend kind of mercies that he gives to you over and over and over abundantly. He gives to you all the more. And we buy into this myth that sin is overcoming grace. No, never. Grace abundantly overwhelms any kind of sin you put in front of it. That's what the cross is. That Jesus dies on a cross and sees you with compassion and says, I love you. Like, I will wipe out everything if you know me. If you have faith in who I am, I will wipe out everything. And the Bible says, man, it blots out your transgressions. It's the point where, where God sees you. He doesn't even see it anymore. If you have Jesus, mercy is over and over and over and over again for everything you've done. How crazy is that? It's the scandal of grace. That's what it is. That we as people who do not deserve this and we constantly rebel, we constantly do dumb things over and over and over again. Here is God just dishing out grace and mercy over and over and over and over again. You cannot outrun his mercy if you have Jesus. You can't. It's the craziest thing you've ever heard. It's a scandal. And for some of us, we get into the kind of wrong mentality where we're going, man, if, so if Jesus, if Jesus is just going to keep forgiving me for all the bad stuff I do, then it's okay to do the bad stuff because I'm just going to be forgiven anyways. If your mind kind of went to that place, it just kind of shows how much we don't get it. 
Let me put the same situation into a different kind of relationship and you'll see how wrong that thinking really is. Imagine me and my wife. I love my wife. My wife sometimes loves me, right? So, just kidding. Right, I love my wife, my wife loves me. We have an awesome relationship, we joke around, we play around, it's great. Now say for some weird reason I knew that if I cheated on my wife, my wife would not leave me. She'd love me regardless. Does my mind go to, oh, so then I should go and cheat? That's what makes that okay. She's not going to leave me. She's going to be with me the whole time. She's going to love me through it. So that gives me the permission to go and do that. No. So somehow in one relationship, we understand what the whole idea of love actually really is. And then when we put that to us in God, we have a whole different kind of story. Mercy, grace, love does not give you permission to sin. It just destroys and overcomes the sin that you already have going into it and all the sin that you will accomplish for it, but not for you to go, man, I can just go off and do my own thing. That's to not understand. To give all of who you are, to be consistent, that is your spiritual worship for everything that you have, even if it costs you, and it will cost you, because you cannot worship in real life, in truth, and in honesty without having it cost something. That's why it's scary to be in our position. That's why it's scary to be a follower of Jesus, because it costs you something. His grace is abundant. His mercy is abundant. And we don't understand that at times. Like God, like God, like I want you to understand, God. Like if we actually believe this, God is the one who created all things with, with words. That his power is unbelievable. His wisdom is immeasurable. His knowledge of us is so specific and individualized. This is God who when we push back and we rebel against him, he just, he wants to be with us all the more. So the point where he sends his son to die with us and, and what do they say in the gospels immediately when Jesus is going to come? You are going to name him Emmanuel, God with us. And at times I think we get stuck. We get stuck at God with us. God with us is not a bad thing, but we get stuck in that idea. God is just kind of hanging out. He's like a buddy who's around me and I can choose to be with him or not. He's just kind of with me. We, we get stuck there. And not too often do we ever get to the point where we read later on in the Bible where, no, 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 no. If you believe in Jesus, it's not just God with you. It's God in you. And as soon as you begin to differentiate God with you versus God in you, that the Holy Spirit's with you, that Jesus' presence is with you, the game changes. Everything is different. And then it doesn't seem so hard for those two worlds to collide. Worship and honesty and truth and in your real life is gonna cost you something. So what does worship look like? As a follower of Jesus, as someone who lives to be a curiosity, what does it look like for us?
Well, Romans 12 definitely tells us that down in verse 9. If you have a Bible, maybe some of your headers are going to say this, a mark of the true Christian. And this is what it says. And this is some of the most beautiful passages that you'll ever be able to hear about what it is that you are supposed to do in the world as a follower of Jesus. That's what it says. Verse 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal or uh, do not be lazy in your passion. That's kind of what it's saying. But be fervent in spirit. Be passionate in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation and problems and trials. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty. Do not be arrogant. Do not be prideful. But associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. And I want you to let that hit you. I want you to contrast your own life to that. Love those who persecute you. Love and let it be genuine. Push away and hate the things that are evil. It's this beautiful list of things that our life are calling us to be. As a curiosity, that's what you are marked by. By love, by genuine love every single day for all the people around you, regardless if you like them or not. That's a big differentiation. You don't have to like the people that you love. You don't have to be self-sacrificing to people that you like. It doesn't have to cost you. People make this differentiation all the time. How easy is it to just love the people that you like? That's not really love. It makes more sense for you to show love to people who you don't like. That's the greater message. That while we were enemies, Christ died for us. While we were enemies, Christ died for us. That's a greater message. than while we were all friends, Christ said, okay, I'll love them. No. The message is in the idea that he is going to do something that no one else would ever do. That you are going to do something that no one would expect of you. That all of these things are the most beautiful things in the entire world. That if this is actually how Jesus wants us to live life, we have to be obedient to that. We can't just pick and choose what we want from Jesus' words for us to go and do. No, no, we have to be obedient to every word, every line, every dot that he says. We have to go out and say, man, Jesus, I just want to be like you. I just want to follow what you're doing, what you're telling me. to Like, just let me be like you in such a tremendous fashion. Let these worlds collide together. Don't let me be separate here or over here, over here. Let me just be unified in the way that I live my life. I don't want to be two-faced or compartmentalized life. I just want to be together. I want to stop putting on masks everywhere I am. Just let me be me. It's obedience. There's a guy by the name of uh, Neil Cole. 
who says something that I think is, is tremendous and it's very, very beautiful. That comes to the idea that even at times in church culture, church culture at times does not line up with Jesus. I think one of the scariest things that in the Western church and for us in Canada is sometimes to be a Christian and to follow Jesus look very different. It's scary for us to think about maybe at times we take too much time comparing ourselves to other Christians and not enough time for us to really know Jesus and compare ourselves to him. It's incomparable for us to be like Jesus. And yet that's the goal. But he's pushing us day after day after day towards the image of being more like him. This is what, uh, this is what Neil Cole says. Ultimately, each church will be evaluated by one thing, disciples. Your church is only as good as its disciples. It does not matter how good your praise, preaching, programs, or property are. If your disciples are passive, needy, consumerist, and not moving in the direction of radical obedience, your church is not good. And I think this is kind of the time where I think I need to apologize. Because if I look at this, if I look at this list, man, if, if I, are we pushing students who love Jesus in their high schools to be radically obedient to his word? At times, I have to sit down and go, I don't, I don't think we're doing that very well. That sucks for me to sometimes realize, to sit here and go, like, I, I'm not doing my job very well. I don't think I, I, I show love to you the way that Jesus does for you to model and go that, to do that with other people or, or even care to like really get into the lives. Of, like I think at times we don't show the things that Jesus really does and so we're kind of hindered in the way for us to go and show that to others. And I think if we look at this, we go, man, how radically obedient am I is the question that I first hit. And I go, man, there's so many flaws. There's so many gaps. There's so many different things that I don't have. And the scariest part is that there are things that I'm not even pursuing. Where are you at? The neediness, the consumerism. It's simple. Do you show up to this room and expect myself or some of the other leaders to make sure that you make friends? Do you show up for the music, for whoever preaches, for the atmosphere? Are you just kind of consuming? Or are you here because you love the people in the room? Because you see the mission of Jesus in the world and that you get to be a part of that. And he says, he calls you to go into the world and proclaim his gospel and to baptize those in his name. Is that what really gets you going? It's radical obedience for you to go and pursue the world after him in such a crazy way because everyone else does something different. The world is telling you to do things very, very different. And we're discipled by that culture all the time in our schools. If we go to the mall, we see it all. It's like all of the world is telling us this, this corner of our life is telling us one way to live. And Jesus is saying, we want you to live this way. And you move from this kind of Jesus perspective into this other world, and it seems like very different places. As an example, you move from faith to doubt. 
You go from love to insecurity. You go from community to individualism, from contributing to consuming, and from rest to exhaustion. I want you to think of in those lists, faith or doubt, where do you sit? Love, insecurity, where do you sit? Community, isolation, where do you sit? Contributing, consuming, where do you sit? Rest, exhaustion, where do you sit? One is what Jesus offers to you. The other is what the world says you have to go after. Where do you find yourself on that list? Now here's the crazy part. You sit there, you hear all of this, and you're like, oh man, okay, this is intense. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta be one individual, worship. I, my life's gonna cost something. I gotta go and give this all to Jesus. Like, this is crazy. I'm not on the good list. I'm horribly on the bad list. This sucks. Okay, I gotta do better. I gotta wake up, 6 a.m. I gotta grab my Bible, my pen. I gotta go after that sucker. I gotta mark it up. I gotta like pray really big prayers. Oh, holy Lord, please, thou God shalt uh, love me, right? So you're, you're going for the whole nines and your mind immediately goes to do better, do better, do better, do better, do better. So I can flip from this list to the other list because that's exactly what I got to do. I just got to work harder. I got to be more disciplined. I got to create habits. I got to get a planner and a journal, right? That's the way that you think you grow in spiritual work. And I'm telling you right now, it's not. Listen, if the categories that go for your life are doubt, insecurity, isolation, consumerism, and exhaustion. You do not need a journal, a planner, daily habits, none of those things. What you need more of is Jesus. What you need more of is Jesus. Do not let your sins and your problems and the things that you go through in life hinder you in any which way where you sit there and go, man, I, I can't believe I, I lied or I did that thing or I stole that thing or I cheated on that task and now Jesus wants nothing to do with me. No, his mercies are abundant. Just sitting there, he's standing there. It's like the story of the prodigal son. The one son who runs away and basically tells his dad, I wish you were dead, takes all of his money and takes off. And the son beaten down shows up and starts walking back to the house and the dad is kind of just sitting there on the porch looking at him and just, and just staring at his son finally coming back to him over all of the offense, all the shame, all like the, the horrible things that he has said to him. And what does the dad go and do? He runs, sprints, grabs his kid, kisses him all over the cheek, get him a cloak, get him some new boots, put a ring on him. What's the thing he didn't care about? What did you go and do? How did you spend all the money? No, none of those questions even matter. He's back. He was dead. Now he's alive. He was lost and now he's found. And the most beautiful thing for us is you're thinking, man, I've screwed up. I've screwed up. I've screwed up. And the same is true for you. He doesn't care about the sin that you've had in the past in your life, you turn right around and the abundant, relentless love of God chases right to you and grabs you, kisses you on the cheek. Get him a ring. Get him some boots. Get him a new coat. That's love. 
just as he did that for you. All this is saying is just live in that. I think one of the most powerful words that we've forgotten in our language, and one of the most powerful words that we have to live in, is the word beloved. You are beloved. You are in the state of being of love. And if that's you, then go and do that. That's the quick summary of what this is. Just be in the state of love. Show that to others. And in all of who you are, care for people. Love them. Do what is good. That's what makes you a curiosity. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for just the students in the room that we would just sit here and just be in awe of your love for us. That we would see you in a new dimension, in a new way. That as we're here in this place, God, that we would just, we would sense you in a, in a, in a beautiful manner. That your presence is here in the room, God, and that we would just feel kind of like a, a push for some kind of a direction or an action point or something that you would move us towards. And that you would just show us more of you. That you would give us a bit more motivation to just seek after you and just spend time and be with you. We don't need to work harder or try more things or do this or do that. We just need more of you, Jesus. And so we just pray that you would just give us this motivation to go and seek after that. That you would put people in our lives, the people maybe around us, just kind of push us into that kind of a life. And that we would just keep each other accountable. Not to work harder or to do more and more and more and more and more. It's just rest in Jesus. And look at how things turn around. So, Father, we thank you for this message. We thank you for your word. And we just pray for the rest of the time that you would just shape us closer into the image of Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.